in every country. Dreams, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory with this month's podcast, brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners to keep you up-to-date with developments in the arboriculture industry. Today's talk is by Dr. Ellen Vincent, who is an environmental landscape specialist at Clemson University's Department of Horticulture. The talk is on how well trees reduce stress. It was originally presented at the 2015 ISA International Conference in Orlando, Florida. Thank you. Thank you all for being here today. I was expecting about three people to be here, and I am so honored that you are the, like, the last standing people of the conference. So thank you for being here and for the good work you do. What I'm hoping that you will get from this presentation is the ability to identify healing landscapes based on the literature, that you can recognize research processes that use theory and reduced variables. That will become clear to you as this continues. And that you will appreciate Tree's role in promoting health, reducing stress, in addition to your good work at making sure that the trees are around to do their work. This research I'm going to report out on was funded through the Department of Defense and as well as a local hospital system and the South Carolina Forestry Commission. And so what we find in this literature that has to do with interdisciplinary studies, which means we're bridging fields. This isn't just one field of study. We're looking at health. We're looking at um, people's preferences. We're looking at nature images. We're looking at landscape categories. But what usually happens in therapeutic environments research is that there are multiple variables and it gets really messy. So we need to sort through them. And we call that, we're trying to control variables or understand them as much as possible. When we use images to represent nature, sometimes the replication of these images is really poor quality or it can't be replicated because the investigators, the researchers, didn't make the research images public for people to see. Or there can be unclear category titles and descriptions of the different landscapes. It's really, I have to tell you, it's totally messy when you start reading paper after paper after paper and you can't really figure out what the similarities are and what the differences are between some people's research. They just describe it and everybody describes nature differently. And then the investigator often will select the images, the landscapes, in which they think best represent a certain title or category, instead of using a rigorous process to understand how other people view a category or a landscape in particular. And then lastly, the interdisciplinary research is very weak in theory. Always listen for what is the theory. And the theory is the overlying principle that has proven true over time. Time and time and time. Theories do change, but they should have proven true over time. So listen for that in every research that is interdisciplinary to find out what is the theory that's being used there. 
So what I wanted to do was measure the therapeutic benefits of nature images for healthcare settings using these mixed methods. And I find that using physical, which is the physiological data, heart rate, blood pressures, and psychological data using tests, surveys, that have very strong internal validity ratings, which means that the surveys I've used have all been documented to prove true over time. They've been replicated many, many times. So what I did was to first establish a methodology to select the images, because that seemed to be where all the mess was, that, those inconsistent categories, the images that couldn't be reproduced. And then I wanted to study how these images that were rigorously selected would impact the physiological and psychological indicators of people in pain. And keep in mind that research is cyclical, and it is intended it is supposed to end up with more questions than it started with, or at least different questions than it started with. That's the beauty of research. It never ends. It never stops. And it just, there's just more mysteries to uncover using rigorous and replicable methods. So the literature that exists is really strong when it says that stress, anxiety, and pain hinder well-being. Um, the healing in the healthcare center. And there's lots of studies, particularly with burn victims, that show that if there is no intervention, if it's just pain, the healing takes longer than if you were to introduce nature via trees into their environment in some way, shape, or form. And in the hospital setting, it's usually through images. It'll either be out through a window or it would be through a picture on the wall. So the nature view can reduce stress, anxiety, and pain. And this has been proven both in prison systems by views um, out, a wall, out of a window and versus people who didn't have views, how much time they spent in the health services, as well as um, research done by physicians that found that people's stress, anxiety, and pain all seemed to be linked. And healing took a bit longer when there wasn't any nature. And the famous study is Roger Ulrich. And he's the one who studied gallbladder surgery patients, those that had view of just ordinary trees and those who had a view of, a, of bricks. And the people who had the view of trees got out of the hospital a day and a half earlier, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but in terms of hospital costs, is tremendous. And they also had less complaints, because the nurses always noticed the complaints. And they required less strong pain medications. So that was a mind data research study, very strong, and it was published in Nature, um, one of the most reputable of the peer-reviewed publications. We also know that architecture affects medical outcomes, and there's less research on that, but yet it's quite strong that shows that views and certain types of architecture, particularly those that have views, can lead to better, um, less stress amongst nurses, doctors, and patients. So we also know that virtual views can serve hospitals where the design is, um, doesn't allow for a view. Um, anybody here been in a hospital where the patient bed, you were stuck in the bed, and the bed wasn't anywhere near the window? Anybody? Okay. You can't move a patient bed because they're all hooked up to the machinery. And sometimes they're just not near the window. Sometimes the view is of a parking lot. Anybody here have a parking lot view in a hospital bed? Yeah. It's not, unless you're into cars, you know, it's probably not going to be the most fun time of your, of your life. And then, um, but we do find that nature art has reduced anxiety and stress, but the nature videos have also been shown to reduce stress. The problem with the nature video is that you can't figure out in that video what exactly reduced the stress because there's so many things happening in a video. There's mixed media. There's all kinds of stuff happening. And then nature videos have also reduced pain levels. 
And there's been two studies that indicated that, and one was using tourniquets on um, people's arms to induce pain, and then found that the nature video, um, compared to people who didn't have the nature video, people with, with the view of nature um, expressed less pain than people without it. So we know that photographs can be used um, and can take the place of, of the real experience of nature. And there's t I put all of these citations here just to show you that there's been ample evidence to show that it's actually superior for research to have a surrogate view, to have an image, because we are controlling the variables that are present. Going outside, you don't know if there are certain scents. You don't know if there's um, cars going by that have created noise, an airplane going above. When you go outside into real nature, it compromises the, the research in the sense that there's all these different variables at play that you can't control for because they're going to be spontaneous. So when we do this in the interior with photographs, we actually are getting some really good data that has value. So don't think of the photograph as not having any value because it really does. And there's ample evidence that shows that the results are quite good. Because um, a lot of these, um, these researchers have compared the, the photograph with the real experience to see what the responses were. But the photographs, again, have to be reproducible. And the realism, the literature shows, is preferred by people in pain as opposed to abstract art. And Roger Ulrich, again, has a brilliant study, um, several brilliant studies, where he found that surgery patients who were having heart surgery who had abstract art posted at the foot of their beds um, some complained and had such anxiety about it, they had to remove the image. And he also um, did another study where he watched psychiatric patients and their reaction to art on the wall. And they loved the still images. They loved the profiles of nature. But when they had abstract art on the wall, um, a lot of the psychiatric patients would attack the art, which was fascinating to me. So they, they took that art down, which is a good thing. Yeah, we don't want to keep that going. So it's just, you know, and you might, it's only when you're in pain that this research has shown that you really may want the realistic um, images. So what I use for my theory is evolutionary theory for landscape preference. And there's lots and lots of people who are using that. But the premier person is Jay Appleton, who identified using um, landscape images, historical paintings. He identified certain categories um, and created this landscape preference called evolutionary theory for landscape preference. Um, and then Appleton's prospect refuge theory has been used in ample, um, I, I hear it and see it mentioned by lots of different resources for over 30 years. And he does not mean that environment doesn't have an important role in our preferences. It's just he studied the evolutionary impacts. And so what this actually is, is he believes that we developed, and other people believe this as well, that we developed preferences for landscapes based upon the time we spent as hunters and gatherers living in the African savanna, which in terms of all the human development time spans was huge compared to every other human development time span. And, and so that's where he started to investigate these paintings, came up with these categories that are called prospect, refuge, and hazard. And I'm going to go right now to try to um, show you what prospect, refuge, and hazard in a very quick version would look like. But he has these categories, these definitions, and these utilize real and symbolic landscape views. And I love this because it includes the symbolism. Anybody with an imagination is going to look at something and start to make connections all over the place. Now, not everybody does that. 
Some people have been, had that trained out of them. Um, they've never you know, had an opportunity since they were children to do it. So if you're somebody who, who doesn't do the symbolic um, or start to make connections and get images in your mind based on words, that's just fine. You probably have been doing something else very valuable um, instead of thinking about imagining and getting all these pictures in your mind. So it's okay. But I love that he includes symbolism. So the prospect refuge theory of landscape preference is the whole concept is to see without being seen. Because during the, this time of human development in the hunter-gatherer stage, it was hard to survive if you couldn't see what was around you. And so seeing was everything. And what we notice is that prospect, refuge, and hazard were the key elements he found in all of the historical paintings. So prospect is an environment that presents real or symbolic access to a view. Usually you're up high, looking down and around. When it comes to prospect, there's usually bright colors. There is usually lots and lots of space. And it might be the kind of thing, think about our cemeteries or our park-like atmospheres where you can see through to something beyond. And perhaps these images might represent prospect to you. Light, water, the reflection on water. Um, distant prospects in, the in, the, in your view where you could anticipate, even in your mind, going to another spot where you could again have more views. You can see what surrounds you. It's bright, it's yellow. Okay? And for some of you, you might want to just close your eyes and think about where do you get prospect? Where in your life, in your past, do you see um, lots of the view that enables you to see all around you? And there's, there's a very good feeling about that. You can see everything. We often call that standing at the top of fallen ground. The ground will fall around you. So it could be you're at a high spot. It could be you're in a tree house. Refuge is an environmental condition, situation, or object or arrangement, and this provides real or symbolic access to hiding or sheltering. This was huge in our evolutionary past, and for some people, particularly kids that get bullied, this is still very prevalent. Refuges provide protection from two different kinds of hazards. One is the um, heights, give you shelter from the animate hazards, and animate hazard would be people, animals, things of that sort, where shelters give you concealment from inanimate hazards such as inclement weather. And so think about what landscape do you consider to be most hazardous that you can just imagine right now for your own personal landscape. Where, where would it be that you would feel refuge from any hazard? Where do you feel safe and sheltered? Where you can see out. You can see out, but no one can see in. See if you can find a place. And the good thing, remember I told you about researcher bias, that researchers always pick you know, what they think is the best example of an image? Well, I bought a whole CD from Getty Images. When I saw this image that is on um, your right, when I saw that image, I said, oh, that's refuge. That's it. Would well, you know I'm the only one who's ever picked it? So I get to put it in my PowerPoints, but it does not appear in the research. That's called researcher bias, when we think we know. And then we ask other people, we realize, oh, we are not of the majority here. Hazard. Hazards will threaten your health and well-being. So hazards. Just think to yourself, what's a hazard you can think about? Is it a piece of equipment? 
Is it a, an object? Is it someone from your family? This is a rock quarry in Pakalit, South Carolina. Fear of falling is one of the ancient perennial fears that people seem to have, along with snakes. I'm not afraid of snakes, but I really worked through that when I was a lifeguard, because they were in the water the whole time. I had to catch them. But fear of falling, ancient, ancient fear. So the quarry might symbolize some fear to people. And then a snowstorm. Perhaps that could symbolize fear. Um, you, you would be afraid of death due to cold, something of that sort. And I created a fourth category called Mixed Prospect and Refuge, because in Appleton's book, he mentioned that he, he surmises that it's the mix of prospect and refuge that will be the most satisfying to people. And because I'm interested in therapeutic, I'm trying to take his work and turn it into a therapeutic study, a therapeutic theory for the research. So here I have two images that perhaps you can see both prospect, the ability to see what's around you, and for distant views, as well as shelter, a place to hide if you needed to. Okay, so both mixed prospect and refuge. And then my question was, which image best represents each of these categories? And so I created an image criteria where all the images had to be in, um, not in portrait, they had to be in landscape, which means these three images could not be used. No portraits of animals, no close-up portraits of flowers, and it had to be in color, and it had to be replicable. So it was one of my images or one of the Getty images that were royalty-free, so other people could get to them. And I also made sure I didn't do public places that people would recognize, or at least try to avoid that. And then I developed a sequential model where I picked 300 images that I felt represented the categories. And then we had focus groups that I, I narrowed my 300 down to 72. Then we had these focus groups that looked at the 72 and sorted and ranked them into categories based on Appleton's definitions that I shared with you a little bit more in depth. And they had a chart in front of them as well, so they had multiple ways to refer to the definitions. They sorted the randomly shuffled images into the um, four piles, and then they ranked them from most to least. And then I paid college students. They work really cheap, $10 a piece, and I got 100 college students to come and sort and rank these images. So they had 20 images to sort and rank, randomly shuffled again into the categories, and we ended up with four images, one representing each category at the very top. And then we did a content validity assessment where we had um, certain professors came in and just looked at what had happened and might have made a tweak or two based on their knowledge of this background and material. So we ended up with one top image for each category to use in the experiment. And these are the images, these were the um, ones that we had, the 20, for prospect is the top row, refuge is the second, hazard is the third, and then at the bottom is mixed prospect refuge. That's what the students looked at and ranked and sorted. So here's the four. Each one represents one category. And the funny thing is, we did it all with images that were eight and a half by 11. When this refuge image was blown up, there was a hole in the bottom of that tree trunk. And um, there were some students who usually the ones that came from the deep low country area where they um, talked about things crawling out of the hole of a tree. So I realized that my refuge wasn't a refuge when it was blown up. So that was a lesson for me, blow it up first before I use it. 
but you see how this can make sense? And that mixed prospect and refuge image you see, that we call, um, it's a French coulisse. That is where you, you peer through the branches of trees into something beyond. And beyond that was more trees and the rooftop of a village in England. So which nature image categories are most therapeutic? And we are going to now look at reduced pain and positive mood as the things we're going to measure. And we thought there would be some variability. And we also thought that prospect and refuge nature scenes would be more therapeutic than hazard nature scenes. Because we don't take hazard into hospitals with real, live people in pain. Because it could do harm. It could cause them stress. So we were, doing, we were using healthy college students. So we can add pain. They're kind of used to that. The independent variable was the image. That is what stayed the same all the time. The control was a black screen, which was, which was no image. So the people who were looking at the screen did not get a different screen than people with images. It was a black screen, nine panel digital array, but it remained black the whole time. And the dependent variables were the things that changed. This is the surveys that we conducted and the heart rates and blood pressures that we collected. And we. Um, used several different surveys, and these are just here later if you want to see them. Um, profile of mood states is probably the most um, successful one. We used several, though. So we did a pilot study where students were forced to come to me by their professors, and I knew some of the students, which was really good, because they told me how they would cheat in this research. And it was really, really good, because I was going to be really respectful and leave them alone in the room, and they were like, no. We're going to cheat like so fast. So I, they, I mean, I, they taught me so much about how to do the research well. So I made the changes. And then I went and again hired, uh, recruited and hired 109 students randomly from all over the college campus who were willing to undergo pain for some money. They made $20 a piece. And um, what we did was, was just different tests. And they would come in to this room and they would look at the nine panel digital array and they would either have an image or the control and we would let them sit there first to get used to the space in the bed. It's a hill rum hospital bed which really freaked students out because it moves when you get into it. It's very pressure sensitive. So then they would either have a black screen or this screen and we would monitor their vital signs. We also tracked the eyes. We watched where the eye went when it started to look at the image. And um, that was interesting to us. It was a, a fledgling program. The data that came out of that was by a, um, a gentleman who worked in our computer science program. And um, he, he would notice what they first looked at and how long that they looked at what in the image. This is the, the building it was conducted in. It was in a nursing facility, so it had um, a clinical type environment. And this is an image of the room um, with the heart rate and blood pressure right there. And the instruments we used were both. This is filling out forms. They would fill out these survey forms in the bed. I got a clipboard. And these are, the, again, the forms with their subscales. And only they usually just had to check a number to indicate how they felt at a certain time. And they were asked to rate their pain as well as their moods. There's the Dynamap, which is good for research. Um, and this is the arm cuff that we would attached to the student. And we looked at systolic blood pressures, diastolic blood pressure, which is the second beat of the heart beat, heart rates, and then the mean arterial pressures. 
And then after they had adjusted and done a few forms for us um, and been in there for a while and had the image displayed, we then, um, they had immersed their hand in ice water. That was what we called the cold presser. That was the, how they experienced pain in this experimental setting. And it doesn't really sound like much, but when you have to keep your hand in ice water for up to two minutes, up to the wrist, it can be quite painful. And they, they, in the, during the debriefing, they would write down the word to describe for me how that felt. And it was really brutal. In fact, after my first week of doing this, I was like, you know, I, I don't know if I feel really good about doing this to these students. But they pro when they started sharing how they processed through the pain, I gained so much awareness about their strength and courage that it really um, was so impressive. But I could tell you that crew people, people who row, they always go into the cold baths and the cold showers um, and it, afterwards, so they didn't have much problem with the cold, but everybody else did. And they were allowed to remove their hand if it was intolerable, the pain got too bad. And then this was our schedule. Um, 60 minutes they were with us. <laughs> So they had the um, tent, they had two minutes of the stressor, then they had um, time for recovery, filling forms out before and afterwards. And then the physiological results was that the mixed prospect refuge image showed the lowest pain levels. Mixed prospect refuge in the, in the sensory pain subscale. This is mixed prospect refuge. That showed the lowest sensory pain. How do you feel when you look at that? And you're probably trying to stay awake. You're not in a lot of pain. You're probably just tired. Okay. We also noticed that people who didn't have an image at all showed the highest pain. But prospect, that one with the view, was not statistically different from any other treatment. So that remains a question. But the people who didn't have an image had the highest pain scores. Okay? Highest pain for people with no image. And there was a statistical difference between the mixed prospect refuge and people with no image. That's no image, just a black screen, filling out forms, lying in a hospital bed, your hand in ice water. Okay, so then we found that um, in the profile of mood states that Hazard had the highest total mood disturbance. People felt rotten. They really, it was amazing. They really just did not have good mood um, reflection after the, looking at that Hazard image. Here's the Hazard image. And this was like a no-brainer for picking a Hazard image. Everybody picked this just about, with the exception of maybe three individuals in all of the the studies that we did. So when we again looked at the profile of mood states for vigor, the one positive um, subscale, it showed that hazard was lowest in positive mood, highest in terrible mood. So hazard. And when we look at the physiological heart rate and blood pressures, what we found was the diastolic blood pressure was lowest during the pain stressor with the hazard image. And that made no sense whatsoever. We were like, well, those people should have been totally stressed out, and they were not. That first beat, 
that the diastolic is the second beat, was lower, which indicated a lower stress. But then, this is the good thing about mixed media, mixed methods research, is that we took readings from other sources later on. 10 minutes later, they had the worst mood ratings. So that's why it was really important to do the mixed methods, physiological and psychological. So we didn't walk away with the wrong impression. We could have walked away and saying, well, hazard, we need to look at hazard images um, when we're in the hospital and in pain. So that's the hazard image again. And we do know that the stressor was effective. We had to test that because a lot of research fails because the stressor isn't painful enough to simulate pain. And this one was. And I blocked out her face from this picture because she really looks so miserable. You know, we can only use images from people in the pilot. We can't use images of people in the real study. We're prohibited from doing that from institutional review board policies. Okay, so what we found was that mixed prospect and refuge showed the lowest pain from the people looking at it. And hazard had the lowest diastolic blood pressure, but the highest, um, and had the highest total mood disturbance. No image was clearly most therapeutic. And we had to investigate why was hazard distracting people from pain. And there were several different reasons that we could come up with for that. But I hit the literature. And the thing that made the most um, sense to me out of England was that the imagery effect of heat and cold could have been a confounding variable. Because in hospitals in England, they frequently will use um, a guided imagery as a form of dealing with burns. And you will imagine cold Arctic air all over you when your burn bandages get changed. You have to get these bandages changed twice a day. And they're very painful because you're peeling off that new skin that is forming. Very, very painful. So, you, so there's this process of imagining cold air all over your body when this is happening to you know, put yourself in a situation of not feeling as much pain. And during the debriefing, several of the students told me they did that. When they were looking at the fire, um, they were using it to make their hand not feel so cold. So that was really brilliant on their part. So we think that could have been what was going on with the hazard. But um, again, we know not to recommend hazard because it had terrible mood ratings afterwards. Okay. So we did know that sensory pain was lowest for mixed prospect and refuge. And we decided that that was going to be what we would take into the hospital setting. We can't generalize because we had low sample sizes and only one time for this. So this is just all inform interesting information to use again. So we went, took this information and went into the hospital. And we worked with hospital personnel whose names cannot be mentioned because of, um, again, IRB policies. And what we did was did, again, a nature sorting image. And people who were registering for surgery would come, and I paid them, to sort images based on characteristics and situations where we could decide which images had therapeutic aspects, which of the mixed prospect refuge images had presence and influence, which is experiential realism. I hinted at that earlier. That's where you can imagine yourself in the image. That ability, how much does that image influence your thoughts? So we rated the images on that. And then we had the mixed prospect refuge theory, Appleton's definitions that we used. So what we wanted to know was, do, does viewing these mixed prospect and refuge images reduce the stress and pain in surgery patients, in outpatient, and in the inpatient? 
And we assumed that all these prospect refuge images would have pretty much the same results as each other and have stronger health readings than, no, than the people who had no image. So the 12 images were sorted and ranked into those three categories again. That was California, by the way. Any of you here from California? Here are the 12 images that they sorted and ranked, and these were all the mixed prospect refuge images that came out of that previous sort at the college level. So all of these, and I have to tell you that second one in from the bottom, I had to remove it from the study because people were looking at that pre-surgery, mind you. They, they know they're coming in for surgery at a later date. They would look at that one and they'd say, you know, if my surgery doesn't go really well, that's what I think I'm going to see. So I pulled that image. I was like, don't take me there. I'll feel really bad afterwards. So, so then we had um, pilot again. We had the nurses come and check out the room and do some sorting to make sure the process would work. And then we had the real patients come and sort and rank. And then these were the three images that came out of that process. The one that was highest in theory was this one. The most therapeutic one was that mixed prospect refuge image, which we didn't know would be chosen. Um, and then from the previous study, and then presence and influence, that ability to imagine yourself in the image was strongest right with that one, that last one there. So the outpatient, we had, again, eight and a half by 11 images on a hard background clipped to their um, chair, to the rail of their beds. And they would look at this image before surgery and on the way back from, on the way to surgery. The most stressful time is being wheeled to surgery. They had the image with them there and were encouraged to look at it. And it would be up again when they came back out and, and you know, were cognizant. And then um, when they were in the hospital room, it was a big image on the wall, always the same place on the wall. And we did not restrict the, tele the television, and we did not um, prohibit them opening their blinds if they wanted to open their blinds. So independent variables were the images, three this time, and the control was no image. And again, we're looking, we're taking heart rates, blood pressures, and psychological surveys. And all these images that were in the outpatient resulted in lower diastolic blood pressure readings than people who did not have an image. So that was really good and interesting, because most people don't want to do um, research with people that are in outpatient. We didn't have one type of surgery, multiple types of surgeries. We have some you know, different variables, different timings going on. So the no image resulted in highest blood pressures. The lowest perceived pain came from this image here. And the highest perceived pain, which we weren't expecting, came from that other image. Lowest perceived pain, highest perceived pain. See if that makes any sense to you. The highest perceived of influence was this one. So this is a high scoring image for the um, surgery patients that are in the hospital. And the control had the highest degree of total mood disturbance, no image at all. Those people felt the worst psychologically. So why do you think this image resulted in highest perceived pain by surgery patients? Anybody have any ideas? Anybody? The trees look dead. There is research. Uh, Roger Ulrich, again, has some research that says that people prefer leaves 
that they really want to be sure that there is, he calls it the verdant landscape, that there's green present. Anybody else? But we've got lots of green turf here. Anybody else? Why would you, why would this cause a surgery patient pain? Anybody? Yes? Okay, because you can't see what's around the corner, perhaps. Very good. Anything else? Yes, sir. That's right. Does that house look a little, I mean, could some people see that as being a threatening object? Okay. One woman, this is just one quote, one person's quotes cannot, cannot represent the group. But one woman told me, and she was in the outpatient, this makes me feel cold and lonely, which I thought was fascinating. So why does this one result in the lowest perceived pain? Why did this one do the trick? Say it again. Okay. Warm color. I had to take this one outside of the um, Clemson arena because Clemson school colors are orange. And I was really scared to use this because it's orange. I was like, oh, I hope they're not picking it because it's orange. But I checked in the hospital. There were lots of people who weren't Clemson. Um, anybody else? Why would this reduce pain? Say it again. Walkable. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. And yes, sir. Yes. 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 And you know, when I interview people, when they're sorting this, I'll ask them, why did you pick this picture? A lot of times they have memories of their childhood from rural South Carolina. That's not, that's Europe. And so they start telling me what the grain is, and I'm, like, I'm just nodding my head. So that was cool that people can interpret themselves in this image. That's high realism. That's that high experiential value. Okay. So uh, thank you for sharing that with me, because um, that is the next step, is to understanding the content and the categories. And again, we can't make too many um, external general generalizations when you have a small sample size and there hasn't been replicated multiple times. So um, this is just a start, which gives us lots of good material to go on, and we established a methodology. And that was the main, that was the main reason, was to get the methodology sound so that the research has value for hospital administrators and policy makers. And then um, one of the things is just at your own work site, can you see your work sites and start to look at what is prospect, what is refuge? Where is their mixed prospect and refuge? Can you get an idea? And then just to be aware in multiple forms that your good work is reducing hazard, both symbolically and in reality. And this is one of my students, um, Eric Brugel who has graduated and works for, as an arborist in South Carolina. And then I wanted just to bring your attention to some really good research, um, which is probably a tie-in to Jay's presentation next, and just how important it is for trees on human health. Because if we can keep people from getting into hospitals, we don't have to invest so much on making the hospital experience really pleasurable for them. So if we take this back to underlying causes that we can keep people healthier through um, healthy trees in the natural environment, that's a very good thing. And this was a NOAC et al. study. And then my publications have occurred in the Health Environments Research and Design Journal. 
and I'm presenting in November at their annual conference um, the results of this study, including all the statistics and everything. And that's me, if you want to contact me. But thank you for being here today and for your interest in nature and health. This concludes Dr. Ellen Vincent's talk on health, wellness, and trees. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to this lecture, please visit the online store at the ISA website and click on Online CEU Quizzes. Thank you for listening to this episode, which is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA